<laughs> and now, it's time for news without my son. Or maybe we should call it news by myself. In the studio, live, all alone, is me, Joe Smith, because Jefferson and Katie are off somewhere in the wilds of Washington, breathing in nature. So I'm by myself this morning. We'll see how it goes. And as usual, I will begin with a shout out. Actually, I will begin with a raft of shout-outs. First, I want to shout-out to Todd Wynn, an ex-Marine who donned his Marine uniform, went to stand in front of the Salt Lake City capital, capital of Utah, the Capitol building, stood three hours in the hot sun to call attention to the need that, to recognize that black lives matter, which in Salt Lake is no small thing. What a shout out for Gene Pruitt, a councilman in Montgomery, Alabama, who voted against requiring masks in Montgomery. So the measure to declare masks failed four to four. And he then, the next day, having listened to what people had to say, apologized and said, I voted wrong on that. My compliments to any politician who will simply say, I was wrong. Then I want to shout out for Amnal Navang, who a woman just graduated from West Point, and she is the first observant Sikh that is someone who is an observant member of the Sikh religion to graduate from a military academy. She made it through and she is now a lieutenant in the United States Army. And finally, I want to shout out to Adrian Parks of Portland, Oregon, 10 years old, who decided there ought to be a march in her neighborhood and she put together a march from Rosa Park School to Columbia Park with people chanting, stay together, stay tight. It was a peaceful march. It was a meaningful march. Oh, my compliments to Adrian. Now, because I am alone, I want to try doing something different this morning. And whether it turns out to be different is going to be entirely up to you. I don't like being all by myself. I don't like just talking all by myself. So I want to invite you, our listener, to call in this morning. Now, you can call in on anything you'd like, but the subjects that I'm particularly hoping people will engage in this morning as we go on is statues. What are we going to do with them? And which statues are we going to do something with? Police. What to do about police? Seattle, we see the problem in Seattle with police not able to get into a place where somebody had been shot and subsequently died. And then what about the COVID reopening? Who should be reopened? What should be reopened? When should it be reopened? Where should it be opened? How should it be opened? And finally, 
what should the legislature do when they convene day after tomorrow in Salem with their special session? So be thinking about that when we get to those subjects. If you have thoughts or questions or complaints, please call in. Okay, first I want to get rid of some international news that's been collecting. International news, COVID. Beijing has a big outbreak, so China, they're shutting down parts of China again. Brazil lost 7,000 people last week to the virus. I don't mean got sick, I mean died. Brazil is facing a huge problem. Latin America is facing a huge problem. More than 2 million folks have been killed by the virus. Germany is is resuming some lockdowns because they're getting what may be their second wave. Most experts say in most places we're still in the first wave. International news. Venezuela. Oh, my goodness. One of the things that has been endemic in Latin America, well, not just Latin America, but especially Latin America and especially South America, is when you have totalitarian rulers, authoritarian rulers who become totalitarian, they disappear people. Allende in Peru, Paraguay, in the, when, the, when the military junta was in charge in Brazil, People just disappeared. Well, now people are just disappearing in Venezuela, which goes to show that it's not just a disease of the far right. It is also a disease of the left. Iran. Scary news from Iran. Iran refused access to inspectors to two sites which means what's going on in those sites? Are they building a bomb? Maybe they are. Can the United States legitimately claim about that since we pulled out of the Iran agreement? Kind of hard to say whether that should be done, but it's pretty scary to know that Iran has taken that step. The European Union investigating Amazon for antitrust violations. Interesting to see what happens with that. And also investigating Apple and potentially accusing Apple of bad conduct over its music and book apps. Because apparently, and I'm not an expert on this, and if anybody is, feel free to call in and educate me and our listeners. But apparently Apple is requiring people or keeping people from accessing things because of their music and book apps. And then something I want to talk about generally and I want to philosophize a little bit about. The, we are seeing in the world over the last couple of decades really starting contemporaneous with the election of Ronald Reagan and I don't think this is a coincidence, a real attack on liberal democracy throughout the world. It's becoming very obvious in Brazil, 
or Bolsonaro is doing all the things that autocrats like to do, cutting down on the press, just all kinds of stuff. Philippines, where Duterte kills people, Turkey, Pakistan, and DDT, that's this middle D is for Donald, the T is for Trump, and the first D is for the adjective of your choice. I, I vacillate upon which is my choice. Is it disgusting? Is it disreputable? Is it disgraceful? Anyway, you can pick your own adjective. But anyway, DDT is just part of that trend that has been happening for the last 40 years and accelerating over the last 20 years. And we see it all over the world and we see it in America. Let's just take the example of the firing of Jeffrey Berman. Why was Jeffrey Berman removed as the attorney in charge of the Southern District of New York Department of Justice? Why? Well, I can't help but think it's because Jeffrey Berman was allowing his office to look into things that DDT and DDT's sycophant lackey, William Barr, really don't want looked into. Really don't want looked into. So what do they do? Well, Barr says... Berman has resigned, which Berman learns from the news and says, no, I haven't. And then it turns out Barr can't fire him. Only the president can fire him. So Barr sends a letter saying, the president has instructed me to fire you, so you're being fired by the president. And the president says, gee, I know nothing about this. That's all Barr. But what's going on? What's going on is that they are removing a Republican who contributed money to the Trump campaign in 2016, but after he was appointed as the attorney in charge of the Southern District of New York, DOJ, turned out he was a man of integrity, of honesty, who did the job for which he was hired. The, the only light the only light anywhere at the end of the tunnel, if there is a light at the end of the tunnel, is that apparently they really screwed up because, because Berman's appointment, of course, was to fill a vacancy and the uh, so, so Barr couldn't fire him, only Trump could fire him, so what they wind up with in charge at least temporarily is the assistant attorney in that office who Berman says is a very, she's a career prosecutor, very high integrity, very high intelligence. So they may have just got rid of somebody and found somebody who is going to be worse. 
another example of this phenomenon that DDT is doing, attacking democracy, is what his recently, just barely recently, appointed head of the Voice of America has done, who immediately upon having being confirmed and taking office, proceeded to fire the four heads of all of the VOA services, Europe, Middle East, Asia, fire all of them, and perhaps more significant is to fire all of their boards. Now, why is this? Well, I can't help but think this is because DDT thinks it would be very nice for him to have his own private media outlet that he can totally control and is, is never, never has to worry about somebody at Fox getting off the reservation and saying something vaguely critical. This is really screwy. And what... What are Americans going to do about this? What, one of the concerns when you, you have that American citizens, 30% of Americans still think he is wonderful, why is that happening? Well, I wonder if it, part of it is happening as to what has happened to civic training, to civic classes in high school, in junior high school. Time was when high school kids got at least three civics classes. Now... Typically, they only get one, and many of them get none. The federal government contributes $45 per student on average to schools for STEM education, science, technology, education, and math. It contributes five cents, five cents for civics training. And Joey is going to introduce our first caller. We have... So we have Aileen Kay on the line. Aileen Kay, I hope I pronounced your first name right. I am so I can barely hear you too, but (laughs) I am so delighted that you have called in. What is on your mind? Uh, This regards uh, a state of Oregon issue, and it's uh, no on IP fifty seven, which is the um, redistricting initiative. I'm totally against it. It's uh, euphemistically called people, not politicians, and I call it Republican people, not politicians. It's a total Trojan horse. And um, in Oregon, the Democrats, we have 34.4 percent of the voters, uh, registered voters. The Republicans have only 24.9, but the way that this proposal is written, the commission would have four Dems and four R's. Uh, Totally unfair. Bottom line, Kevin Mannix loves this. So if Kevin Mannix loves it, people should know it's bad. (laughs) So... Um, I'm very against it, and uh, I hope people will not help them get it onto the ballot. And so everybody knows exactly what we're talking about. This is a measure which would change Oregon law that presently provides that the legislature gets the first crack 
at deciding what the dividing lines are for congressional districts and state legislative districts. And if the, if the legislature is unable to do it, the Secretary of State gets a crack at it. And if all else fails or if people are dissatisfied with what decision has been made, they can go to court. But the legislature gets the first crack. And 10 years ago, the legislature did a very good job with coming up with a fair distribution that resulted in representation in the legislature pretty much commensurate with the division, the political divisions in the state. And the real, the scary thing about this is, is the Republicans who are doing everything they can to keep people from voting, to minimize the voting, especially voting of people of color and people who are in lower economic brackets. Anyway, they will encourage this in blue states. It will never happen in red states. So if it's only done state by state and not nationally at the same time, you wind up with the worst of both rules. Aileen, I appreciate your calling. Anything more you want to say? Uh, well, I'm, the reason I'm concerned about it is that progressives will think it's a good thing because of the two co-petitioners, one of whom is a man representing the League of Women Voters. Hint, hint. <laughs> Not good. <laughs> and then the other person is from cause, Common Cause. I have no clue why she is for this. So, um, the Republicans love this, so I just want to make wanted to make sure that people out there who are progressive understood that, and that they will not send the letter. That everybody got a letter um, asking them to uh, sign the petition for it to get on the ballot. So I'm just asking uh, your listeners to not sign that, so that it will not get on the ballot. Aileen, thank you for calling. Thank you. Have a good one. Mm, you too. Bye-bye. Okay. Um, what do we want to talk about? Well, I want to talk a little bit about Tulsa and what happened in Tulsa and what didn't happen in Tulsa. Oh, but to, to, put, this, to put this in context with how the DDT lovers... I got an email from a second cousin of mine, a retired lawyer, a Stanford graduate, a former justice of the peace in a Wyoming, for a Wyoming town, saying what a wonderful speech DDT gave in Tulsa and how he was making America great again. Wow, I had to respond. I tried to, I usually don't respond to my far right cousins in Wyoming, but I had to respond to say this was a 106 minutes, almost totally 106 minutes of hate and lies and division. Just on and on. And, and Classic, the classical, he spent 10 minutes talking about the coverage, the media coverage of his descending the ramp at West Point to address the West Point graduates. 
And the, the premise of the 10 minutes was his claim that the media, and by that he, and he, would, he points to, to the news at the back of the, he says, the fake news all censored his walk, that what they did, they covered his little baby steps down the ramp to just before he got to the end of the ramp, but then, as he said, but then they ended their broadcast and didn't show that I ran the west of the way down the ramp. And that was simply a lie. And I can say that not because somebody tells me it's a lie, not because some news person says, it is because I personally viewed the coverage on CNN and MSNBC on at least one of the networks. I don't remember which it was, but I generally try to catch ABC and NBC and CBS at least once a day. They all covered that walk down, and they all showed the whole thing, his baby steps, and then not running, but three quicker steps, and then starting with a normal walk, they all showed the whole thing. But why is this significant? This is significant because this keeps his supporters believing that they must distrust the most trustworthy media outlets. And, and I don't pretend that CNN always gets it right or that ABC always gets it right or the Washington Post or the New York Times get it right. They don't. But these are generally media outlets that try to report the news as news. And with the help of Fox News, the, the pundits of which never fail. I don't think they go through a single program without specifically attacking at least one media outlet. They attack CNN, or they attack the New York Times, or they attack the Washington Post. And Trump was just ginning that up to his supporters so they will disbelieve anything that they don't hear from Limbaugh or from Fox or from the other far-right radio folks, which reminds me to point out, folks, that this radio station is yours. It is yours to support. We exist because you exist. A little more on Tulsa. What happened to the crowd? Now, there is a disagreement about what happened because the campaign, the, D the DDT campaign, says there were 12,000. The crowd counters in Oklahoma say there were 6,200. My, my guess is the 6,200 is low because if it's true that that auditorium seated 19,000, looking at how many empty seats there were, it looked to me like there were close to two-thirds. And if there were close to two-thirds, that would be around 12,000 people. But what happened to the 100,000 that the Trump campaign said were going to come? Holy smoke, they were expecting 40,000 people outside, and for that reason, they set up an elaborate outside venue with a huge screen so the people outside would know what was going on inside. Mike Pence and 
DDT were planning on speaking to that huge outside crowd, well, the outside crowd simply didn't materialize. The outside, it was maybe it was measured in the dozens, and they had to start encouraging people go inside. And of course, I suspect those people who were still outside when there was plenty of room inside were outside because they were uneasy about going into a closed venue where people not wearing masks might contaminate them with the virus, and so they wanted to hear it outside. But they were pushed to go inside. I assume that those people, just like everybody else, had to sign the waiver promising not to sue the campaign if they came down with the virus. I'm thinking that the folks who were kind of coerced to go inside from outside might say that they were coerced into that waiver, but we'll, we will see about that. But why was the crowd so small? Well, some say it was because TikTok and other young folks may have signed up. A whole lot of folks were folks who weren't going to come. The campaign claimed it was because they were scared off by the protesters, which is nonsense. There were only a couple hundred protesters. didn't amount to anything. And by the way, there was one protester arrested. Guess who the protester was that was arrested? Was, it was a woman. Was she arrested for breaking things? No. Was she arrested for throwing something? No. Was she arrested for attacking the police? No. She was arrested because, although she had a ticket... She was wearing a Black Lives Matter shirt. And therefore, they refused her to go in. She insisted she was going to go in. They then said, you are trespassing. So she was arrested. But anyway, I suspect that one of the major reasons a lot of people didn't come is that the campaign was telling the world We've had a million applications. We're going to have 100,000 people come. And then three days before, there was lots of news, and Fox News was telling everybody people are already camping out to get in. That There were just a lot of folks who said, do I care enough to go to that place to camp out to make sure I have a seat? When the odds are I'm just going to be stuck outside, I think I'll stay home. I think maybe they were hoisted by their own petard. COVID. We talked a little bit about COVID internationally. What's happening nationally? Well, the coronavirus is hitting rural America. Just Washington, Yakima County, reports that their hospitals are full and they're having to send people to Seattle. Texas, way up. Florida, back up. People under 30s showing up more and more coming down with the virus. Major League Baseball, maybe not going to get underway at all this year after all, all because of the virus. We are clearly not out of the woods. What is DDT doing? <laughs> He's telling people we got to open up. And so if you have any comments on opening up, please call. Other national news. This maybe should have been a shout-out. Mary Elizabeth Taylor, 
the Assistant Secretary of State for Legislative Affairs, previously a staffer for Mitch McConnell, clearly not a left-wing plant, has resigned from the State Department because of what she says is DDT's inappropriate handling of the protests. My congratulations to Mary Elizabeth Taylor. She's going to have a hard time finding a job on the Republican side of the aisle for a while. Want to talk about statues and really would love to have people call in about statues. What statues should be taken down? I don't have any problem with taking down the statues. In fact, not only do I have a problem, I encourage the taking down of statues or at least the removal of statues from places of honor in capitals and in front of and in parks and other places of the traitors. And these were interesting. And by the way, it's only been the last few weeks that other media folks have been having the courage to call Robert E. Lee and the rest of his traitors, traitors, recognizing that they did swear an oath to support the Constitution of the United States and proceeded to commit treason and fight against it in the bloodiest war that America has ever participated in. Don't have any problem with that. But how about Thomas Jefferson? How about James Madison? How about George Washington? I was really, I confess, I was really disappointed to learn that folks had pulled down the Jefferson statue just across the street from here, clearly closer to, to here at Jefferson High School. Very disappointed to hear that they had pulled down the statue of Washington on Northeast Sandy, just a couple of miles from my house. I, I am amazed that the protests are getting the MoMA, the Museum of Modern Art, to remove Teddy Roosevelt, <laughs> Teddy Roosevelt's statue from in front. Where does it end? And of course, talking about Jefferson and talking about Madison and talking about Washington, they were slaveholders. And there is no question that slavery was a horrible thing. But to put it into context, we also need to be aware that slavery was a common human practice worldwide for the previous 5,000 years of human history. We know for sure that it goes back 5,000 years because we have written records of Homo sapiens going back to 3,000 years pre-Christian era. In fact, even farther than that. And it was common, particularly if, if one country or one tribe or whatever conquered another country or another tribe, they typically took the people from the def def defeateds into slavery. Native American tribes did that with other Native Americans. The Bible, when you read the Bible, and if you read the King James Version, every time you find the word servants, probably the correct translation was slaves. 
So this was a common practice. But, and so we need to recognize that that was the fact when we also have to recognize that this country, which with all its warts and all the things that is done bad and all the good things that is not done, still in my belief, is, is the, has been the, the beacon, the beacon for freedom for the last 200 years. Uh, recognize it for the 230 years, recognizing that for the first 87 years of that, we had that horrible blot of slavery. But nonetheless, the Declaration of Independence, hypocritical though it was, recognizing that all men did not include all black men and did not include women, nonetheless, it put a light on the, uh, on the hill that we still can go to and could look to. And that Madison, slave owner, apparently quite good with his slaves, but nonetheless a slave owner, did help create a constitution that despite its recognition of slavery, also managed to create a country that has been able to do things that no other country in the history of the world has been able to do. So if you want to take me on on this, or if you want to agree, or if you want to give us any other insights on what should be done with statues, please feel free to call in. Other national news. Senate is going to have hearings on Biden. Not Joe Biden, Joe Biden's son. They have issued more than 50 subpoenas. And if you ever want to see an example of a congressional committee using your and my taxpayer money, our tax money, to put on what is clearly, clearly aimed at campaign propaganda, I don't think you can come up with a better example than Lindsey Graham's committee issuing more than 50 subpoenas to, quote, get to the bottom, close quote, of what Joe Biden's son did in the Ukraine. One good little piece of news, the Senate historically has refused to confirm any judges or any U.S. attorneys, district attorneys, if they were not okayed by the senators of the state in which the person appointed would serve. And they violated that on some judges recently, but Graham has said that he is going to recognize that custom and is not going to hold hearings on DDT's proposed replacement for Jeffrey Berman in the Southern District of New York because both the New York senators are opposed to that. And they ought to be opposed to that because the guy the DDT wants to put in has never served as a prosecutor. How do you put somebody in charge of the most important district office of the Department of Justice to, to run that who's never tried 
Never, never been a prosecutor. Wow, mind-blowing. Grand Rapids. In Grand Rapids, a whole bunch of MAGAs, folks wearing MAGA hats, burned their absolute absentee ballot applications, saying, oh, no, we are not going to support mail voting, which, of course, is part of the Republican plan, everything they do to make it hard for people to vote, especially for people of color and lower economic and, and folks who have jobs and have a hard time getting away from their jobs. And by the way, that reminds me. I want to encourage our listeners, if you ever find yourself in a discussion with somebody who is a DDT supporter, especially if they are wearing a MAGA hat, to ask this question. Would you please tell me when it was that you want us to go back to? Give us the year, or at least give us the two or three years, or my goodness, give us the decade that you want us to go back to when you say, make America great again. That obviously means there was a time when it was great, and then a time, in 2016 at least, when it clearly was not great. So tell us when it was you want to go back to. I just, I'd like to hear what their answer is, because so far I have not been able to get anybody to answer that question for me. And I am really, really disappointed that not a single person who has an opportunity to ask DDT questions has ever asked him that question. we got to do something about that. National News. Mr. Mnuchin, head of the Treasury, said that he was not going to allow publication of who got the $650 billion dollars worth of loans which could become grants to business. Well, he's backed down on that, and I think he's backed down on that because he recognized that if he stuck to it, there would be a House investigation on that one and no way to justify it. Other National News Pacific, Gas and Electric, pled guilty to several counts of manslaughter because of the fires that were started by its badly maintained power lines, they're going to pay something like $18 billion worth of reparations over several years. Pretty serious. It's encouraging that somebody push that all the way to the end, but it's also perhaps worth noting that no human being is being punished. No human being is being charged. No human being will go to trial which means that the folks who will actually pay that $18 million are ultimately the rate payers of Pacific Gas and Electric, and perhaps to some extent, hard to measure, the stockholders who will get less, a smaller dividend over that time. And is there any other national news I want to be sure to cover? Oh, yeah. The Food and Drug Administration has put the kibosh, the final kibosh, 
on hydroxychloroquine testing because it says conclusively, although apparently hydroxychloroquine is not hurting people badly, it's not doing anybody any good, which means that you and I as taxpayers are stuck with the bill for over 60 million, that's six zero million doses of hydroxychloroquine, which DDT told his folks they had, we had to buy. Wow. Wow. State and local. The bomber. The bomber is going away. For those who don't know what the bomber is, the bomber is a restaurant on Southeast McLaughlin Boulevard, just south of downtown, just south of, well, leaving Portland to the south, which is called the Bomber because there is a B-17 perched on top of the restaurant. And after more than 70 years, the Bomber is closing altogether. Wow. You will be missed, Bomber. Saturday market open again. Saturdays only and some restrictions, but nonetheless opening. Playgrounds opening. DEQ is opening also with limitations, but once again you can get your car. OMSI is with the limitations opening. All of which raises the question what should be opened? When should it be opened? Who should open it? If you have any ideas, feel free to call. Special session of the legislature convenes day after tomorrow. What will the legislature consider? And what should the legislature consider? Well, it is going to consider a raft of bills related to police behavior and to criminal justice system. One of the bills that they are going to consider is one that's very near and dear to my heart, which I, when I spent a few months as a state legislator, introduced so that it was a bill able to be considered in the 2005 legislature, which would assign the Attorney General the responsibility of investigating and, if appropriate, prosecuting all police homicides. I'm hoping to be invited to testify on that because that's something that just really needs to be done. And I say that as a former prosecutor the former prosecutor that had one police homicide, there were no racial overtones to it, but I had to recognize, and I especially retrospectively recognize, that I was woefully unprepared to deal with the intricacies of a police homicide. And, and if, it, if it had been potentially racially motivated, it wasn't, it was a, it was a burglary where, where the police the cop under then existing statute was pretty clearly justified in firing his weapon. But there are two reasons that this 
really ought to pass. And one of them is the one that I just mentioned. That is, having I, I didn't know what to do with it. And the, the vast majority of district attorneys in Oregon will never have to deal with a police homicide. And if they do, it's likely to be just one, which means that especially if there are racial overtones, they're really not going to know all of the hoops that need to be appropriately jumped through, the I's dotted, the T's crossed. When there was serious consideration of this several years ago, when Hardy Myers was attorney general, when a defense attorney described how he had had to help the police department, I can't remember if it was Marion County, I think it was Marion County, had to help the police department, rather the prosecutor in that county, do what was necessary so that it could legitimately be considered. The attorney general could then have a division in its office with one or two prosecutors who would not be full-time with that because there are not that many police homicides, but nonetheless, who would become truly experts in dealing with all the things that need to be addressed when a policeman kills somebody. And the other reason, of course, is because inevitably, there's nothing to be done about this, folks. It's it's just a fact that whether you like it or not, it is a fact. If you measure the importance of a constituency by the number of contacts and by the amount of time spent in contact with a particular group, there's just no question that the most important constituency for a district attorney is the police, our policemen, our policewomen, our our folks in blue. Those are the ones that they're dealing with every day. Those are the ones whose they are calling for witnesses. They are the ones whose reports they are reviewing. They are the ones whose complaints they are deciding whether or not to go ahead with and prosecute. And when you're de- when you have a constituency, you can't help but create bonds. In fact, you ought to create bonds with that constituency. Holy smoke! If you are al- if you are relying on a group of men and women for all of the stuff that your that your job does, if the paperwork that you deal with comes from them, you ought to develop a bond. Not a good idea to having district attorneys have to address homicides and maybe even should increase that, add that to serious force, violence, to the district attorney. So I'm really hoping that that goes someplace. What else should, should be considered? Well, an interesting bill that a lot of businesses are pushing forward that they hope will be addressed is to provide protection for businesses against lawsuits related to people coming down with the virus. And that's something that's really, I think, worthy of discussion, pros and cons, because if you tell a company you now can open up and you open up and someone comes in and they later say, well, because you let me in your store, I came down with a virus and I am suing you. Should there be protection? But on the other hand, 
how far do we want to go in making, letting businesses get off the hook for due care? That is all something. A few other state and local things going to mention before we have to close because Joey is going to give me the signal that he's got some stuff he wants folks to listen to pretty quick. The Portland Police Department, the police men and women were told by just last week retired Jamie Resch, chief, or not retired, but resigned chief, that it's okay to cover up your name tag. And the reason being that she was afraid of cops' families being at in jeopardy. Is that okay? If it's not okay, what? The uh, Well, we're talking about police homicides, by the way. Last year, there were 29 days, 29 out of 365 days, when there was no police-caused homicide. Only 29 days when somebody didn't die from a policeman. There's a problem there that perhaps needs to be addressed. Multnomah County says that it needs 91 million bucks to address its COVID problems. Death Row is shutting down, which reminds me that Richard Allen Davis, who was convicted 24 years ago last Wednesday, 6-18-96, of killing 12-year-old Pobly Class, is still on death row because you have to you go through all the appeals and the retrials when necessary, all this stuff, 24 years, and still hasn't been pulled off. Death penalty doesn't work, folks. Doesn't work. Well, I think Jefferson is going to be back sitting where I am sitting on Thursday, and I will be back in my office on the telephone. And now it is time for Straws in the Wind. Like a straw in the wind. First straw in the wind, I hope, is a straw in the wind, and it's an encouraging straw in the wind. The Senate bipartisanly passed the Great American Outdoors Act, authorizing 9.6 billion bucks to addressing stuff that needs to be done, badly needs to be done, in our parks, and our monuments, and our outdoors. It's gone to the House. Hopefully the House will pass it as is so it can be sent to the president. At last, University of California regents have voted unanimously to re, re once again use affirmative action in deciding who gets admitted to the University of California in its various locations. My compliments to the regions of the University of California. And I'll be back, and hopefully will be back, on Thursday. And Jefferson, if you're listening, love you, lad.